Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, October 24, 2018. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and I will talk to him momentarily. But before we do that, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be complicated, but uh, it doesn't have to be not with SeatGeek. And that's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value. You find what you want. Two clicks later, you're buying tickets. It's easy peasy. For instance, let's say you're trying to go to the World Series. Dodgers, Red Sox. You just open that SeatGeek app. You type in World Series. Your option's going to pop right up. Pick your seats. You buy them suckers in a matter of seconds. It's simple stuff. Like I told you before, when the wife and I went to see Jay-Z and Beyonce a few months back in Atlanta, um, I got our tickets via SeatGeek. We were on the 12th row on the floor. Great seats. I paid a lot for them, but on the day of the show, uh, the tickets that were two rows behind me we're going for three times the price that I paid. So I got hooked up good, relatively speaking, uh, via SeatGeek. So next time you need tickets to anything, I'm talking about concerts, sporting events, whatever, open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So after 20 hours of deliberations that span three days, we got a verdict this afternoon in the college basketball corruption trial in New York City. Everybody is guilty on all counts. And we are going to spend the entirety of this podcast, whether it's 30 minutes or 50 minutes or somewhere in between or somewhere longer, focused on this trial. And like I told you last week, we are going to start this week doing multiple podcasts per week. So what we're going to do is focus on the trial in uh, this podcast. And then on Friday morning, I promise, we will record another episode that focuses on basketball stuff in some form. So Jim Gatto, Merle Code, and Christian Dawkins, assuming their appeals ultimately fail, found out today that they will someday serve time in federal prison. Obviously, that's going to be up to the judge how much time, but Dan Wetzel, uh, from Yahoo Sports has reported that his sources have told him that Jim Gatto's looking at around seven years and Merle Code and Christian Dawkins are looking at about three years. Norlander, you were inside the courtroom today when these three men, who, as you wrote, um, were optimistic as recently as Wednesday morning that perhaps this was going to go their way, um, when they found out uh, from, I believe it was juror number three, that it was not going to go their way, they are uh, convicted felons and going to do time in federal prison, barring some sort of appeal that is successful but unlikely, uh, what was the reaction? Did anybody cry? Because I think I would cry if I were found guilty of a federal crime that I didn't even think was a federal crime. No one cried. Uh, I was wondering if we might get a little bit of uh, a little bit of that. Now, obviously, as people are probably aware of, if they've watched movies, television shows, or watched an actual trial or been in the court for one, before the jury comes in, the judge says, listen, there will be order in my court. No matter what this verdict is, everyone needs to be composed. No no shrieks, no shouts, any, anything like that. So everyone obeyed with all that. Uh, real quick as I get into this, um, I spoke with Dawkins' lawyer, Steve Haney, on Tuesday. And he told me, I basically posited to him, you know, if we do get a guilty verdict here, for these for these guys, are we looking at essentially something anywhere between you know six months to three years? And he essentially agreed with that. Gatto will get more because he had three counts of guilty against him, and the other two, Code and Dawkins, had two. I want to add one more piece of uh, context to this. They will go to sentencing on March 5th. They will go to sentencing in front of Judge Louis A. Kaplan, who's presided over this entire trial. 
as it so happens, I watched Kaplan hand out a sentencing on Tuesday. I didn't know this was going to happen. We're waiting to get what we thought was going to be a verdict on Tuesday. Okay. This this other case was bonkers. Um, it's it was a doctor who went to Cornell and um, like Harvard Medical School who basically funded a brothel in Manhattan. And there's a whole whole bunch of details, right? It was just it was wild. We didn't know this was going to happen. Like he's he shows up for sentencing. Like this was the most exciting part of Tuesday. <laughs> but I bring this up because, um. You know, the, the doctor who wasn't apparently as culpable as others, like there were, I, I think, women involved in this that are getting deported back to Korea, okay? Um, but he's making his case why he should be under house arrest, shouldn't have to go spend any more time in prison. I think he spent a, a little bit, maybe three months in prison. The state had recommended that he go away behind bars for, I think, more than five years. Obviously, the defense is saying, listen, he's paid this, this, and this penalty. By the way, he's helping out all these other people, uh, kids in need. If you let him work from home, he can still do good for the community, yada, yada, yada. The judge winds, Kaplan winds up giving him one year and one day in prison, which was a lot less than the recommended time from the prosecution. And it was less time than, I guess, there, there's some sort of book that recommends, you know, if you make this kind of violation or are found guilty, this is really the amount of time that we recommend is fair or whatever. But the judge ultimately gets to interpret all that. So I bring that up to say, if, if predictions are that, you know, um, Dawkins and Code would be two or three years, and Gatto would be six or seven. Um, if Judge Kaplan looks at what happened here, sees that none of them had previous criminal records, he could opt, opt to be a little bit lenient, and perhaps they don't go to jail for nearly as long as some people are expecting. And then for however long they go, what I don't know is how soon they might be up to, to get out on parole. That stuff is to be determined down the road. But I think that's just one important piece of, uh, of context there that, uh, to keep in mind. There's a lot to get to here, Parrish, um, but I want to serve this back to you real quick. Before we get into, you know, I, I talk with Dawkins, I talk with Merle Coates Sr., talk with some of the lawyers. Before we get into all that, I thought that we were going to get not guilty for Dawkins and Code, and I thought Gatto was going to get a guilty. Right before they they announced the verdict, I thought uh, the juror was going to say not guilty. I wasn't surprised, but like if you had made me like guess one second before I heard it, I was going to say he was going to say not guilty. I was looking at, at the juror's hands to see if his hands were shaking on the paper because I thought, well, if it's guilty, he might be nervous delivering this life-altering news to these people that he doesn't even know. The juror was not; he was he was pretty steady in that. And as also, help, help me understand what the jury looks like. Are we? I know it's eight women, four men. Are are they older people, younger people, uh, uh, white people? Um, all, all mixes, uh, races. Yeah, all races. I would say um, no one under thirty, no one over fifty. Um, you know, and yeah, all all just definitely a hodgepodge mix. Um, I did try. I and others tried to get jurors to speak on the record afterward because they're free to speak t t on the case as they please. I, we asked like six. They all said no, um, which is commonplace. But here's what I was setting you up for, Parrish. As w they were laying all these guilty verdicts down, um, like it's always been real, but it got really freaking real in that courtroom. Like it was packed, more packed than it had been any day that I had been there. And I thought, you know, the verdicts are the verdicts, but this is just damn unfair. These dudes do not belong anywhere in federal prison near one for what they've been accused of. Credit to the prosecution for fulfilling its burden, convincing the jury, and we're going to get to a lot of that as well. But Parrish, like, this is just the way the game gets played in major college athletics. 
and it just seems wrong. Like you can blacklist these guys from the business if you want, but it it just it just flat out seems wrong that what happened here and what they got caught up in, even if it was against the rules to a certain degree, undeniably, um, they should not be going to prison for this. But they will be unless they win an appeal. And I just wanted to set that back up for you. I know you agree with that, but I wanted you to have the floor here to to kind of muse on that for a second. I mean, it it does seem wrong. Um, like. What, what what's most fascinating to me about this case is that it's so unique in the sense that when you usually commit a crime, you know you're doing it, and you know that if you get caught, you have a you have a general sense for what the price is you're going to pay. Like if you go drink and drive. You might be in an altered state, so you're not thinking clearly, but you know, like, that's illegal. You know that if you get caught, there's a price to pay. You might lose your license. You might lose your job. You might um, you might even go to jail. Uh, heavy fines, all these things. Uh, on the other end of uh, the spectrum, if you murder somebody, you know that if you are caught and charged with the crime and convicted of the crime, you might go to jail for the rest of your life. You might even get the death penalty. You have a sense, regardless of the crime, you, have a, you usually, almost always, have a sense for what it is you're doing and what happens if you get caught. And yet, that's not the case here at all. Because these men, they knew exactly what they were doing. They just did not know it was a crime. They had no reason to believe. No reason to believe. They were committing a federal crime. I was involved in, in, a, in a case similar decades ago when I was a very young reporter at the Commercial Pill in Memphis. It was a football scandal. You can Google it. It was uh, a, a defensive tackle named uh, Albert Means, who was the number one defensive tackle in the country coming out of high school, Treadwell High School, I mean, uh, Tresvin High School in Memphis. Um, his high school coach sold him to an Alabama booster who lived in Memphis named Logan Young. I broke the story. Um, it was such a hot-button issue that not only did the NCAA and you know, launch an investigation that ultimately got Alabama uh, on probation and got everybody fired at both Alabama and Kentucky. Uh, it, 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 they were charged with federal crimes. The high school coach, his assistant coach, and Logan Young. And they were convicted, all of them. Milton Kirk and, and Lynn Lang, the high school coaches, uh, they pleaded guilty and cooperated with, um, with the feds. But Logan Young went to trial, just like Jim Gatto and Moral Code and Christian Dawkins went to trial, and he was found guilty of conspiracy and very similar. Um, he had paid $150,000 cash to this high school coach to get uh, Albert Means to go to Alabama, and that was interpreted as bribery of a public official because it was a public high school coach. And I would get asked to go on these radio stations, you know, all over the state of Alabama or in Memphis or wherever, and, and I would always make this point that I knew Logan, who I had become not friendly with, but we'd spent a lot of time together because I was covering his trial every day, and we, he'd granted me one-on-one -on -one interviews even after I'd written the initial story. Um, he was always cordial with me, which I, I respected, even though like I, on some level my reporting ruined his life. I would always make the point that Logan knew when he was buying a football player on behalf of Alabama that he was breaking NCAA rules. And he knew that if he, get caught, he got caught, Alabama could get in trouble. Albert Means could get in trouble. And uh, perhaps he would be disassociated from the university. 
But he had no reason to think he could go to jail for that. It's like not, it's not in your head. And so I was always proud of that story. In some ways, it, it helped um, launch my career. But I was always—I never celebrated that he went the—that he well, he was convicted and then he was appealing and he was uh, a free uh, via you know while waiting to appeal, and he died like tragically in his home. He fell down a staircase. It was weird. So he never actually went to federal prison, but he was going to go to federal prison. I was never completely comfortable with that. I say all that to say this is sort of the same thing to me. Jim Gatto knew he was violating an NCAA rule. So did Christian Doc, and so did Merle Code. But what they, what was reasonable to believe, if you're any of those men, is that, okay, hopefully we won't get caught, but if we get caught, Louisville might get in trouble, Kansas might get in trouble, and when I say trouble, I mean NCAA trouble, NC State might get in trouble, um, Bill Self could get in trouble, Rick Pitino could get in trouble, Mark Godfrey could get in trouble, some assistant coach could get in trouble, um, they could vacate wins. Somebody could be ruled ineligible. But you don't think that you are risking your freedom. And I'm, on, on a very basic level, uncomfortable with that. That three men were convicted of federal crimes today and will, barring a surprise, someday serve real time in a real prison for committing a crime that when they did it, they had no reason to think they were actually committing a crime. And plenty of reasonable legal minds still to this moment, don't think they actually committed a crime. Right. And that that point can't be emphasized enough, both points that you just made there on the back end of that statement, Parrish. Um, there's still plenty of dispute over this, and there will be remain dispute, argument over what if what happened here was uh, truly a federal crime or not. I do think, we'll get to this a little bit later, you wrote a column on this, I do think it can have real impact on cheating that happens in college basketball because today it, it legitimized the stakes in a way that it just simply never have been before um but i i couldn't help but wonder this as i you know made my way out of the courtroom was working on the newser and, and wrote the column is you know is ignorance of a situation uh valid reason enough to make a judgment of this much consequence and what i mean by that is the judge outright did not let the defense bring into argument the realities of the NCAA and its amateurism model and the problematic setup of that to begin with. It did not let the defense bring in, you know, how Nike and Under Armour, it would not allow defense attorneys to question Nike and Under Armour the same way that Adidas was on trial. So the jury was not able to get a true picture painted uh, through efficient argumentative means by the defense over what's actually happening here. And so to me, the case was a bit tilted and it was tilted because of that. It was tilted because you had three defendants who had already admitted to wrongdoing. And to me, you are way behind the blocks. That's not a good starting point because there was already an admission of wrongdoing of, of if you want to call it, uh, quote unquote, guilt, even though they were not pleading guilty. Um, that couldn't have sat well uh, for them in the eyes of the jury from the get-go as well. But I, I have an issue with the fact that the defense could not bring into argument the very obvious tangible, decades-long evidence of what happens in major college athletics. And because of that, you had a jury that's not familiar with any of this deciding the fate of these men and doing so through a view that's so narrow 
and this is what the judge wanted. Like I, I, I don't dispute how uh, Judge Kaplan views the law. He is, frankly, incredible at his job, and you don't get to his place unless you're a man of supremely high ethics and you've been doing this forever. But I think in this case, um, the outcome was just skewed to the point where the jury did not have all of the information that it should have had. I can't say that if it did, we would have had different uh, verdicts or not, I, I tend to believe that the discussions might have gone even longer, uh, and these the deliberations went twice or three times as long as people were expecting. But that was one of the biggest issues I had with all this, and it circles back to the point I made on a couple podcasts ago. If you were sitting in that courtroom and you watched the prosecution execute um, its direct examination of its witnesses, and then you watched how the defense was not able to be nearly as fluid in what it wanted to do, it was impossible to walk away from that thinking that the defense and the prosecution were like trading even blows. It just wasn't happening. And then you add on to all of that that none of the defendants go to go on the stand. They didn't bring um, witnesses to speak so that uh, the defense could have direct examination. And I think that is why when they left for their deliberations when closing arguments were made, it really played a strong hand against the defendants in this case um, and I have more thoughts, but I'll, I'll kind of pause it right there and, and talk well, it back to well, you. Listen, I'm I'm not a judge or a lawyer, and I I and trust me, I got enough lawyers on Twitter telling me, reminding me I'm not a lawyer. But it did it does from my perspective seem seems wrong to not allow the defense to properly explain by presenting evidence that hey, this is the way things get done. Um. You know, my, my my wife listened to our last podcast, and I only bring her up because she would be a lot like a juror in the sense that she, she doesn't know the ins and outs of the way grassroots basketball works. And after she listened to our last podcast, she was like, I just, it was just too much for me. Like, I did, I just did, it was, there's a whole lot going on here, and it's like this whole other world. And that's somebody who's been married to a, college basketball columnist for you know, 15 years so imagine what these 12 people who ha- have even less of an understanding of this world this subculture than my wife imagine how limited they are in in their ability to grasp what it is the defense was trying to say which is we we did these acts but we were trying to help the universities often at the instruction of the universities. For instance, I know there's a quote in your column that that you tweeted uh, not too long ago um, from Christian Dawkins, where I think you're riding an elevator with him, or you're with him, and and at some point he says the word, obviously we didn't defraud anybody. And that is so obvious to anybody who understands this world and how it works. And yet... The judge not allowing a lot of the evidence that underlines that to be presented in front of the jury um, felt like I, you used the word tilted. Felt like it tilt, tilted this um, in, in that direction, and I don't know. Like it, like it, it, it would seem silly for me to second guess defense attorneys, right? I don't. I, I've never been in the courtroom under those circumstances. But you wonder if it, and that's all, I'm just wondering, I'm not insisting, I'm just wondering, um, if it would have been 
effective to put Gatto on the stand, Dawkins on the stand, Merle Code on the stand, and allow them under oath to say, what are you talking about? Bill Self asked me to do this. You know, Rick Pitino knew what I was doing. Like, that, that, like we weren't defrauding anybody. We were working hand-in-hand hand with these multi-millionaire basketball coaches and, by extension, their athletic departments, and we were doing what they wanted us to do. And now you're going to try to flip it and act like we were defrauding them? Get out of my face. I mean, obviously, this is a very um, casual way to put it. But I wonder if that couldn't have helped. I I guess it it couldn't have hurt, given what we know now. Guilty verdicts across the board. But I wonder if that would have been effective. You'd probably be better equipped to answer that question than me, considering you were there. Yeah, no, it it would have certainly been interesting. Obviously, there are many reasons why defendants never take the stand, because the pitfalls that could follow, I think, just so greatly outweigh the benefits. You know, it's it's total risk analysis there. And in so many instances, defense attorneys just strongly advise that their clients uh, don't do that. And then clients, ultimately, defendants, it's ultimately their choice. I mean, they can do whatever they want to do. If they want to take the stand, they'll take the stand. Um, but when you hire a lawyer, you take your lawyer's advice. No doubt. Especially lawyers like this um, that are getting paid extremely well to to uh, to take on this case. Um, uh, yeah, I did, I did talk with Dawkins a little bit. I talked with Merle Code Sr., and just a little bit of background there um, really wouldn't fit anywhere in my story. And I don't know when this would ever come up again, but um, Roko Sr., who made uh, com- comments and closing arguments and did some cross-examination in this trial, you know, he was on a state bench in South Carolina for 25 years. A dignified gentleman, was a joy to talk with. Um, you know, he told me that, you know, from the second this this happened, he was dead set on trying to help his son as much as he could. And then it, the case overtook his life so much to the point where he had to leave the bench. He was waking up at 2.45 in the morning, grabbing a notepad and jotting down whatever it was he needed to jot down so that he could remember it because it was going to apply to the defense's case here, there, whenever, okay? And he told me that Merle Code used to be at Nike. And the reason why Merle Code left Nike was because Merle Code Sr. got prostate cancer. This was like seven years ago. And uh, he was trying to help his family so much to the point where he he needed a little more leniency in being able to travel to see his father and help help his family. And this is Code Senior saying this. He said Nike simply wasn't willing to go that far. And so that's why Code left. There could have been other reasons, but this is what he explained to me. And um, and I think through all this, Merle Code Senior, that was just another thing that really weighed on him amid all this is that – you know, maybe if he never goes to Adidas, well, not maybe. If he doesn't go to Adidas, this doesn't happen to his son. So it really put it a real-world perspective on what that family was encountering and going through. And even as I talked to him, as I talked to Dawkins, as I talked to some of the defense attorneys, you know, for us media people, it was like this was not interminable, but it, we were hoping to get a verdict Tuesday morning. The days are long. You're doing nothing. You can't have your phone in the courtroom. You know, I went. You know, I had to go buy a book just to pass the time. Um, you don't know when an answer is going to come, but everyone with the defense, what like the prosecution was kind of like here, or there. They weren't really around that much. Defense was in around the courtroom. If I'd go down to the cafeteria, they were just they were loose. Like things were just, you know, you felt like things were going good. They weren't assuming they were getting off or anything, but there was a confidence in that uh, they presented their case well, and so that's what made the the verdict reveal, um, I think, all the more devastating. Because while they were all keeping their minds open to that reality. Um, it was, I think, 
worsened by the fact that this wasn't something that came swiftly on Monday afternoon. The jurors, to their credit, took a lot of this so seriously to the point where who knows what they debated? Who knows Who knows if this started 8-4 in favor of not guilty and then the four swayed them to the other side or if it was 11-1 to guilty from the start and one person had to be had to be convinced. We don't know what exactly was said in there and, and may never know. Um, but the bottom line is this. We are in... This story is a thing, and and Gatto and Code and Dawkins stand to go to uh, to prison because federal funds got messed with. And just like the IRS, if you are going to mess around with the government's money, the government is going to come at you, fangs out, okay? You can criticize the case all you want, say it's flimsy as hell. The jury disagrees with you there. But this is about taking... State universities receiving federal funding for scholarships in cost of attendance, et cetera, and, you know, defrauding them by putting, uh, you know, players who would be ineligible on their rosters. We can argue for 17 hours on this about the realities of what the schools knew what was happening. But that fact was further muddied by the lack of definition over what a university actually is. Is Rick Pitino the University of Louisville? Is Bill Self the University of Kansas? Are those coaching staffs? Yeah, for all intents and purposes, they are. Okay, They absolutely are. But the prosecution was able to convince this jury that the coaches were not aware that Gasnola and the guys on trial here were able to work around that with those arrangements and put those universities, uh, not in serious peril, but just, but just defraud them. Um, it still kind of boggles my mind, Parrish. And, uh, and as I wrote in my column, this sets up, one, pretty interestingly for the NCAA. Because you get, you get guilty verdicts in this. I don't care that this now says, oh, the universities didn't know because they were defrauded. No, 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 no. There is so much testimony here that puts coaches and schools and programs in the crosshairs. Even though the NCAA has, won't be acting for months, I think this is worse than if we had gotten not guilties. I think you're going to see the NCAA going way strong on this. Mark Emmert's not going to sit by and just let these verdicts be the only thing that happened with this case. I'd be very surprised if that happened. And two, the coaches in this case is, and Code and Dawkins still have to, are still defendants in a second trial. The coaches in those cases, does this, uh, does this affect how they attack this? Do they consider taking plea deals? Do they, do they chance this as well? Because remember, for as much as we're talking about this now, and it's a legit big-time headline across uh, you know, the national sports scene, these were, these were the names no one knew about. Okay, The big fish have always been the coaches, even if they're just assistants. That's the ones directly tied to the programs. Their charges are different on bribery. Um, but I just think today was extremely consequential for the NCAA for federal law and how it's interpreted with all of this. And you can make the argument, I don't buy this, that it was good for college basketball. I think I saw Shashevsky might have said that at ACC Media Day. If I'm misquoting that, my apologies. This was not good for college basketball. This puts more programs and coaches in the crosshairs. And I would argue it actually sets up, even if it might curb cheating, and I'll let you get to that, Parish. I would say it sets up different avenues for people to get more creative with how they cheat because I refuse to believe that this is going to outright eliminate uh, illegal recruiting practices within major college hoops. Yeah, you'd, you'd be naive to think that. As long as amateurism is a thing in uh, in college athletics, then then cheating is going to happen, uh, particularly in football and, and, and men's basketball. But one point I did make toward the end of my column is that regardless of how you feel about this or I feel about this, um, the jury sent a message today, and and the message is essentially this: uh, 
if you are a sneaker company executive or a street agent or uh, a financial advisor or a certified agent or a coach or a hobo hero street corner clown, doesn't matter. If, if, if you compromise somebody's amateur status with impermissible benefits and then they go on to enroll at a public university and accept a scholarship, you have theoretically committed a federal crime. And you can be charged with a federal crime. And there's precedent for you to be convicted of a federal crime. And like I said, I don't think that that's going to curb cheating completely, but it is something else to think about. You know, it's one thing to 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 cheat and know that if I get caught, well, first off, let's start at step one. Cheat, you're probably not going to get caught. Most people who cheat don't get caught, just like most people who drink and drive don't get caught. You're probably not going to get caught. But you do know if you get caught, you're going to pay a price. And that price is what? Um, you know, maybe a show calls penalty, um, maybe something less like a nine-game coach control suspension, maybe something more like you lose your job, your contract, millions of dollars. Um, but that's vastly different than losing your life, losing your freedom, losing the ability to come home to your wife and children or grandchildren uh, for two years, four years, or seven years. And I do think that's something that like, I don't believe that district attorneys all over the country are going to be anxious to prosecute similar cases. But what this jury, the message they delivered today is that it, it, it can happen. And it and you, you, you can be found guilty of it and you can go to real jail, like real prison. And that is something that you, you'd probably have to think about if you were somebody who operates in this world, right? Unquestionably. This changes the paradigm, to use a cliche. It just undeniably does. This this now puts going to prison into the equation, and that is obviously going to make an impact. Um, you know, what's interesting with Adidas here is, you know, I was told by someone extremely familiar with just the greater landscape of the company on the whole, um, if you're curious how much this uh, has affected Adidas overall, the answer is almost none. Um, Adidas basketball, I was told, you know, if you were to take the valuation of Adidas and its priorities and how much money is, is allocated, it's like 2-3% total. Like They're more concerned with soccer. Um, they're more concerned with Kanye. Just so many other uh, celebrities, ambassadors, major, major athletes. I think I still don't have my Yeezys and my, and my King Push. Sneakers? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they're more concerned with. So this... I got I got sneakers on the right one it says king, and on the left one it says push. I do not, but anyway. Um, it hasn't affected Adidas' stock price. So from that perspective, if you're involved in this world, it's going to make you think twice. But if you're wondering how this has really changed things for that company overall uh, it's it's a global sports company and uh, you know this will no doubt be brought up in meetings but it's you know uh, the six or seven most important people at adidas are not getting briefed on this daily if not weekly okay um they're probably no doubt a doubt aware of what happened uh with with the verdicts but it was interesting to get more perspective on how 
little this matter to the company versus what people thought when the story broke. Now, it matters basically everywhere else uh, beyond that. And I've, I've, I, find it, I find it disheartening that you were going to have – you're going to have the NCAA taking, I think inevitably, a lot of the stuff that was said under oath – but might not necessarily be extensively corroborated through evidence that was put uh, that was shown in trial, and using that to litigate its own punishments. This is this is probably a discussion for another time when we when we get there with the NCAA. But I, I think that's going to play a big part. And then obviously, what's to come in the second trial with Chuck Person, the third trial, Book Richardson, Tony Bland, Lamont Evans, the former assistants at their schools. Um, yeah, man, this was just. You, it's just a watershed day, man. Like, when this story broke in September of 2017, there was rightfully a lot of reaction, um, but there was also a lot of, okay, after the immediacy of all this, like, what does the government really have here? Government's not dumb, man. It doesn't, do, it doesn't dedicate millions and millions of dollars and years to investigations like this if it doesn't think it's got a good shot at winning. And even if um, so many within the sports world thought that that was overblown, it clearly wasn't. Um, the uh, the prosecutors who are who are all under forty, as best I can tell, that that was a young team, did a great job. The defense did a great job too. Like th- this was intriguing as hell watch to watch play out, and the way that they were able to attack this case. But it eventually boils down to this: the more you know about college basketball in the NCAA, the less likely you are to think that this was actually a federal crime. Okay. So the inverse applied with the jury and they sided with the, with the, with the prosecution. And now Gatto, Code and Bond are out. Uh, uh, Gatto, Code and Dawkins are out on bond. They're free. They will go to sentencing March 5th. That will be right before league tournament starts. So this will flare up again, just as we're getting ready for the big dance. Last thing before we get out of here, um, I guess it's coincidental, um, based more on the fact that Kansas has an exhibition game tomorrow night than anything else. But on the same day that the verdicts were delivered, uh, Kansas did announce that Silvio D'Souza is going to be withheld from competition pending an eligibility review. Um, This is unsurprising. It's something I said I believed would happen on this podcast. It's something I said uh, last week when we were in Fort Lauderdale and on CBS Sports HQ that I thought would happen. I did not think Silvio D'Souza would start the season with Kansas, and um, I don't think he'll finish the season with Kansas. I don't think he'll ever play at Kansas again. Could be wrong, but I, I'd be surprised. Um, I had a lot of people ask me on Twitter, subsequent to the announcement, so is Bill Self going to be held out of competition? When's Bell Self going to have to be punished for this? And the truth is, and we talked about this on the last podcast, you'd have to be pretty naive at this point to to think that Kansas's staff wasn't either working hand-in-hand with Adidas or very aware that Adidas was out working for them. We've got Curtis Townsend on a, on a wiretap saying they'll do what they got to do to get Zion Williamson, even after they know Zion's 
presumably his stepfather, has his hand out. Um, you've got Bill talking about how he needs Adidas to help him the way he believes Nike helps uh, North Carolina and Duke. And TJ Gasnola says Kentucky as well. That's at least the way most reasonable people interpreted that text message exchange. And yet, and so like, listen, I, like I, if you think Kansas has been cheating, you think the same thing I think. And it's going to, to be a part of this story now forever. You know, those 14 straight Big 12 regular season titles have been celebrated. Now they're going to be mocked, dinged by everybody outside of Lawrence, Kansas. And it'll probably turn into 15 straight this season. And on the night that they clinch it, people around the country won't go, that's amazing. People around the country will say, yeah, well, we know how they did it. And that's something that, that Bill and his staff and that university and athletic department are going to have to just, that, that's life for them now. People are going to assume that they didn't, quote unquote, do it the right way. But if you're looking for the smoking gun that's going to get a Hall of Fame coach fired, it's just not there yet. I know what that text message exchange between TJ Gastola and Bill Self says to me and most people. But Bill Self can stand up and, and say, you can read into it whatever you want to read into it. But I didn't tell TJ Gastola to go buy me a player. I didn't tell him to break rules. And he didn't tell me he was breaking rules. So, like, you can read into it at whatever you want to, but it ain't there. It's not actually there. And this isn't anything new, and it doesn't start with Kansas and Bill. There's a long history in college athletics. Universities, they ain't just going to all, you know, fire a Hall of Fame coach unless they feel like they have to. You know, why is Urban Meyer still coaching at Ohio State? Because he's awesome at his job. And Ohio State hasn't reached the point where they feel like they have no choice. You know, Jim boeheim has been through a major NCAA investigation. Had to vacate wins. Still the head coach there. Why? Because he's awesome at his job. Roy Williams, and I know it wasn't technically this, but to most reasonable minds, there was an academic scandal at North Carolina. And he's still the coach there because he's awesome at his job. Um... You know, Rick Pitino survived a personal scandal and then a professional scandal because he was awesome at his job. And then another professional scandal on top of the other one so quickly, like it was Louisville then reached the point. We can't, okay, it's time. We got to go. But it, it you know, the, the, we're not there yet with Kansas and Bill Self. We might not ever get there. And so I understand why if you hate Kansas or just like, aren't a Kansas fan, why you think it's unfair that Silvio D'Souza could be basically removed from competition because of some stuff that probably, as long as we're being honest, happened above his head between a Guardian and Adidas and and happened with Kansas's knowledge on some level. I can understand why you might find it frustrating and perhaps even wrong that he's going to be held out of games and Bill Self's going to be coaching the Jayhawks tomorrow night inside Allen Fieldhouse. But that's just the way this sport works. I'm not saying it's fair or right. I'm just saying it's not unique to Kansas. Uh, if you are awesome at your job, your university will continue to employ you until it feels like it has no choice. And up until this moment, there is nothing that's come out that puts Kansas in a position where they feel like they have no choice. In fact, the Chancellor released a statement late this afternoon. And in that statement, he said, we stand by Bill Self. 
and they're going to continue to do exactly that as long as he's winning Big 12 titles and as long as there isn't irrefutable evidence via text message, video, wiretap, whatever, that Bill Self was actually directly involved in some of this stuff. They might sacrifice an assistant coach. Um, They might disassociate this. They might distance themselves from Adidas. But the Hall of Fame coach is going to survive. That's the college way. Yeah. Um, Give me just a few to respond to all that uh, because there's a lot there. One, the defense tried best it could to to establish all this, obviously. We've made the point, but it just bears repeating. Like They were trying to establish that Bill Self and his staff knew exactly what was happening. There were just blockades put up in their questioning and cross-examination that they couldn't go there. What was interesting was on Tuesday, as we thought we might be getting closer to a verdict, the jury asked for transcripts um, of T.J. Gasnola's testimony, and one of them specifically had to do with text messages between Gatto and Gasnola, and those text messages also dealt with the impending expected, essentially guaranteed commitment of Silvio D'Souza to Kansas, I think that day, if not the next day, I think I think it was that day. Um, I think that kind of stuff coming to light, and obviously it then gets reported publicly by myself and others as the jury's not – it's undecided. And, hey, by the way, one of the reasons why it's undecided is because Silvio D'Souza's commitment to Kansas is apparently a pivotal point in them coming to a verdict here. Uh, all this stuff piles up. Um, it was funky timing. No doubt they waited until the last minute to make this announcement right on the eve of exhibition play. And then, oh, by the way, this happens to be the day that this first of three trials ends overall. Um, I I don't think D'Souza plays this season. As you said before, uh, Kansas stands to be the best team in the country and already is in jeopardy of losing its Final Four through official vacation of the NCAA. Um, if it were to go on to make another Final Four, if not win a national championship, um, what other factors might be in play that we don't know about or even do know about that could uh, affect Kansas? Um, it knows D'Souza is the, is the one big piece, and it's not going to chance that whatsoever. Bill Self put out a statement. I am not going to read it. Um, because it's way too long to read on this podcast. If you listen to this podcast, you have either read the statement in full on its own through social media or seen it through a story. Um, There is some interesting uh, stuff in there. Uh, I can tell you that it will be met with a massive eye roll by some within the college basketball community. Isn't one point where he says, I have never offered inducements to a student athlete, something like along those lines? I'll read that exact uh, sentence for you here. Um Hold on. I want to read it because I want to I want to make sure we uh, get this. Uh, yes. When recruiting prospective student athletes, my staff and I have not and do not offer improper inducements to them or their families to influence their college decisions, nor are we aware of any third party involvement to do so. I'll stop if you want to respond to that before I keep going. Well, the first part is like, OK, I mean, that that, that nobody's alleging to date that you or your assistants, you or your staff have directly offered inducements. Although, like, it's undeniable one of your assistants is on a wiretap saying that he would. Correct. Right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, he might not have done it, but he's on a wiretap saying he would. Um, and, and beyond that, like, the allegation isn't that Bill Self offered Billy Preston $90,000. The allegation is that Adidas – Gave Billy Preston ninety thousand dollars, or his mother, roughly ninety thousand, to go to Adidas, and depending on who you listen to or what you, your gut just tells you, you know, the, either the Kansas staff knew or or did not know. Um, like I've I've known those guys for a long time, all of them. Um, on a personal level, I like them, but 
It, it is like, and I can still like them and not think they're awful humans, but it does seem that <laughs> that they were benefiting from shoe company influence, and um, that you'd have to be a little naive to think that it it blew them away when they heard about it. Like it was yeah. like, oh, really? Adidas has been come helping on, us. Come on, <laughs> that's that's unimaginable. Yeah. Like I just, I can't go there. Um, you know, it, it, but like I've said a million times, whether I'm talking about Kansas or anybody else, this kind of stuff was almost acceptable recruiting behavior in the sport for a while now. You know, I, I, Under Armour is going to help Under Armour programs. Adidas is going to help Adidas programs. Nike going to help Nike programs. And so I don't think this makes anybody awful humans or uh, bad people. It doesn't make me like anybody any less. Um, whether, you know, it doesn't, I don't like the Maryland staff any less because I uh, read that a Maryland booster allegedly paid Silvio D'Souza's guardian $60,000 to go to Maryland. Um, but, like, I do believe that that probably happened. And I do believe that the Kansas staff probably was aware on some level of what was happening with Adidas. It flies in the face of common sense to think otherwise, doesn't it? I mean, long as we're being honest. Yeah, it goes without saying. It just It just goes so easily without saying. Um, these, these men are too smart to act that dumb, okay? Period. They know how the business works. But obviously there's no smoking gun. Um, but nevertheless, there's just uh, the circumstances surrounding this um, just overwhelmingly uh, point to what was actually happening there. And as uh, Gasnola himself was testifying to um, to the jury, you know, I never told self, I never told Patino about this. Um, but the defense did get him to admit that, you know, working in these ways through these channels um, was accepted common practice. And, you know, everyone essentially, everyone knew the deal. Everyone knew what was going down. Um, but they don't have the proof. And right. because they don't have the proof, um, the, the jury couldn't be convinced that uh, that all of the coaches and the assistants were in on this. And the jury couldn't be convinced to split uh, the difference between a coaching staff and the idea of a university and how to resolve those things in the way of a of a not guilty verdict for for any of these men. So this is the first. We still have so much more to go. I mean, maybe we'll get pleas in the other two. Maybe we won't. Uh, but the the story is so far from finishing. From an NCAA standpoint, you can argue it hasn't even started yet. Uh, and then from a federal trial standpoint. Um, I would suspect the next two will last anywhere from, you know, two and a half to four weeks. This one was just under four weeks overall. Um, and some of the defense attorneys involved in this will be involved uh, in one of the upcoming ones as well. So we'll get to that as needed. I do want to send appreciation to the listenership. I, I You know, I, I'm aware that there are a lot of people that really appreciate and like this stuff because they're invested in the story for one reason or another, whether it's their school or it's a team they hate or their coach or a coach they hate or they just – They've never seen anything like this before. And even, you know, Dawkins' lawyer told me today, you know, this had never been – this kind of case was completely new. Like, there just – there hadn't been anything like this before. So, um, we just wasn't, wasn't sure what we were going to get. Uh, we know a lot of you are craving preseason college hoops content and craving us probably to kill Jim Beheim for what was one of the most ridiculous quotes I've ever seen about not paying college athletes. Um, so, we're going to get to that. Like, the season's around the corner. This trial, thankfully, has wrapped up. 
So a lot of the stuff is now going to be in the rear view as we go forward. But it was a, it was certainly you know important for us to to get into uh, what this case brought. Um, hopefully, I was able to illuminate a lot of what happened inside that courtroom, uh, which I sometimes felt was uh, I came out of there. F- uh, feeling different about sometimes the things I'd read about on days that I wasn't there. Um, but but here we go, and I just will close with, you know, Gatto, Coden, Dawkins, I just don't think should be going to prison for this. Uh, you know, I just don't. I, dis- I disagree with that. I, I, I just simply do. Um, I don't disagree that they broke rules, and what they did was wrong, but it rising to this level uh, is incredible to me. And if you're an assistant coach that's facing bribery charges – you're going to be talking with your lawyers. I, I, I don't know what those conversations are going to be like, but do you want to chance this? And do you I wouldn't. Ch- you know? I wouldn't. Let me ask you this before we go. Do you have a sense for if Jim Gatto, Merle Cogan, Christian Dawkins would have just said, all right, listen, you got us, um, you know, it's eight months ago. All right, you got us. Let's just um, – we'll cooperate. Um, what are we looking at? Do you know what they would have been looking at in terms of federal prison? No, I didn't ask that question. Um, I don't. But like, know. for instance, if it would have been like, "Hey, you cooperate, we're gonna hit you with six months," as opposed to you go to trial and you lose, we're gonna hit you with three years. I think I'd have just done my six months. I potentially. It's easy yes, to say now, then, but, given that we yes, know the outcome. I know, I know, but then but, you gotta like full on. But then, you know. six months flies by. You can, you can. I don't you know, know I, if six months flies by when you're waking up every day in prison, Parrish. Okay, well, here, here's what I mean. Not a whole lot changes in six months. You get out of, you get out of prison. You go to prison for six months. You come out six months. Your kids basically look the same. The world's basically the same. Um, go look at a picture of yourself six, from six months ago. You basically look the same. Seven years? A lot of things change in seven years. Can we it's see a, a picture? Can we see a picture of you seven years ago, Parrish? Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe I change a lot in seven years or six months, but um. No, not six months. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joshing with you. No, I get you. Um, range no, my, my, yeah. my point is like, you can chalk six. Like people go away from their families to film a movie for six months. Like you, you can be away for six months and like uh, your world doesn't change necessarily, but six years. Five years, like that, like, like that's just I, I think if if you'd have told me that the the stakes are this high, I'd I'd have probably just said you know what I'll just do my six months and be done with it. Um, again, easy for me to say I wouldn't I didn't really have to make that decision, and I know what the verdict was now. But my point is, if I'm Chuck Person, if I'm Book Richardson, I don't know if I want to chance this. A jury just found dudes guilty of of um, you know. Of of federal crimes, and a lot of people don't think they should have, but they it still happened, and that suggests to me that it could happen to me too. Yeah, what we don't know is um, the potential sentencing that those coaches are facing. Um, you know, from a practical standpoint, forget like okay, they potentially face two decades or whatever. Forget that because that's as pretty much all the lawyers have told me. Like that's you know that might be the extreme but it's not going to be that. Um, is it because they're facing bribery charges as opposed to conspiracy to commit wire fraud? Person's a little different, uh, but the other three. Uh, is it considerably less where maybe if they fight and lose, the belief is like you're looking at a year max as opposed to why don't you just fight it? That remains all to be seen on that on that end. Um, 
But this will continue. You know, the games are coming. Thank God for that. I'm so pumped for the start of the season. But be be it because of appeals, be it because of uh, occasional statements from Mark Emmett or schools that are investigating themselves, if they even do, uh, this is just still going to pop up throughout the season, and then it will really rev up if the trials stay on, like February with person, after the Final Four, the third one, which stands to be, uh, to me, the loudest one, I think, um, that's going to rear its head again. So um, onward, ho. And if you're still with us, uh, God bless you, because we are um – you know, nearly an hour into this thing. And like I said, uh, we will record again on Friday morning, and I promise we'll talk about actual basketball stuff. You know, the exhibitions will be uh, are underway. Duke had one last night. Zion was blocking things off the backboard. Um, Kansas, like I said, will play uh, on Thursday night. So uh, we'll have that to look back at on, on Friday morning if we choose. So Friday's podcast is going to be pure basketball stuff, I, I promise you. And, and one last thing. We've never done this before, but we're thinking about doing it. Um, December 22nd is the champion, uh, no, the CBS Sports Classic, and it's in Chicago. And we are thinking about doing a live Ion College basketball podcast, like finding a bar. Uh, really, we'll just let people who actually do this for CBS Sports handle it. But the idea would be get a bar on that Friday before the game. The games are Saturday. Um, at United Center, get a bar on that Friday and record a podcast. Um, you know, in 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 front of a in front of a crowd. Let us know if that's something that makes sense to you guys. I did something with my radio show recently, uh, similar to that, and it was a uh, an incredible success. Like it was humbling to 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 see that many people show up just to listen to me talk to another human being. But um, but but like we we think it might work for the podcast, particularly. Uh, on the eve of an event that we're both going to be at, and by extension, a lot of college basketball fans are going to be at. So if that's something that makes sense to you, let us know uh, on on Twitter. And if you haven't read our columns yet, uh, we both wrote today about this uh, these guilty verdicts. You can find that cbssports.com or on my Twitter feed or on Norlander's Twitter feed. You want to shut up and go watch some baseball? Shout-out to Devin Downey. Shout-out to the baseball. Shout-out to October. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Shouts to Larnell. He's the legend. And remember, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Then rate it favorably. And when I say favorably, um, let me get more specific. Five stars. That's what I mean. Five stars. Pretend we are uh, a, a, a prospect that Adidas would buy and try to send to an Adidas school. We, we are a five-star podcast just like those are five-star prospects. So we want five-star ratings. We want nice comments. That's all we ask for you, uh, from you. And like I said, we're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care.